I think the most significant part of that legislation is the way that it classifies AI into risk. Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Anton Gonsalves. Today, we'll discuss how Cisco plans to become a stronger security provider, the state of AI regulations in Europe and the US, and the latest generative AI introduced by Oracle and Salesforce. At Cisco Live last week, security was as much a topic of conversation as networking. Here to tell us about the networking giant's uh, latest security products and the strategy behind them is Melinda Marks, an analyst at Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome, Melinda. Hi, Anton. Great to be here. Great, great to have you. So, uh, Cisco, uh, how is Cisco's um, advancing the integration? Uh, between security and networking in its uh, latest product announcements from uh, from Cisco Live last week? Yeah, I think they're making a really smart point about how important security is to connectivity and networking. So they made it a major theme at the conference last week. You know, Cisco isn't really known as a security vendor or that's the, not the main thing that they're known for. But they made a point of talking about how that's the number one topic for customers. So anytime there's a connection, it needs to be secure. Their customers need to be able to use Cisco products easily while having confidence that it's secure. So there were a lot of great security initiatives that they announced last week. They announced secure access, which is to make sure that anybody trying to connect, and again, this is a big point for modern pressures of digital transformation. You have a lot of remote work, um, hybrid work, and they announced that their security service edge, their SASE solution really helps simplify access. So if employees are connecting from any location, from any device, they could do so and work productively. And then on the back end, there's a easier way to manage that access, see where people are connecting. They also announced a really cool collaboration with Apple to incorporate zero trust network access for a seamless native experience um, for Mac users. So those are really nice, nice things to see that um, most people can understand the need to access and be able to access their work applications securely. So I think this communications pattern that they're doing of make Cisco more associated with security was really strong at that event. They also had um, some great speakers. They had the NFL was very present at the show. They had their party at Allegiant Stadium. So they were talking about how you can have these great experiences um, securely. So if you're at a ballpark or a stadium, you can go order your food. You can do everything with your mobile app. You don't have to worry about carrying your wallet. So these are all things that Cisco is really emphasizing as ways that they can make modern life better, more connected, while making sure that they're fully thinking of all the security implications so that you don't have to, and you can just go about what you need to do. Right, right. and they also introduced generative AI within, it, within mm -hmm. their security portfolio, right? I mean, how is it gonna be used in the company's new policy assistant? Uh, yeah, so and I love that because this is a big challenge is there's a lot of tedious manual work that's involved. Um, Cisco made a big point about responsible and ethical usage of AI. There's a lot of 
talk right now um, with, I think this year, early this year with the emergence of chat GPT, what are AI implications and people want to use it in a smart way to make things easier and to take away manual work and things like setting policies um, and um, setting guardrails. That's something that takes a lot of manual tedious work. So they're using their generative AI policy assistant for Cisco Secure Cloud so that security and IT admins can set and maintain security policies. And this is also, again, it's to help them reduce their manual work. It's to help make sure that there's no duplicated work. These are all things that really help security folks make sure that they can set up policies in an easier, scalable way. Right. And how about generative AI in their security operations center? That's also uh, an area that they're going to include uh, the te technology. Yeah. So they announced leveraging generative AI for faster threat intelligence, um, threat detection and response. So when um, there's some issue, security issue, it's really difficult to detect where it is and respond quickly. So at the end of this year and early next year, they have some new features um, where they have security operations center assistance so that you can contextualize the events and respond faster so that you can you know, get to the problem faster and, and remediate it. Um, and with those types of tools, they can better understand what the issues are, understand what their impact is, and make sure that they put in the best remediation efforts to contain that or stop it as fast as they can. Okay, and Cisco also launched Panoptica, which brings yes. it into uh, cloud security, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about cloud native applications. Uh, I mean, that's that's new for Cisco. Uh, how will it, um, uh, you know, expand its uh, its portfolio? Yeah, so this was exciting, and I actually got to speak in their session to talk about it. So when we think about the needs for digital transformation and moving workloads to the cloud, there's organizations are moving to cloud native development because it makes development a lot faster and more efficient for developers. And Cisco has Panoptica. Panoptica is their solution for observability and visibility as the name implies with Panoptica that you can see everything. And when you think about managing security and risk with the move of workloads to the cloud and secure and managing security in general, in general is always about visibility and making sure that you can see into every connection, every resource, and with the dynamic ephemeral nature of the cloud and, and development um, resources where they're using these, um, they're using applications based on microservices, so very distributed, you need that visibility to be able to see and monitor those applications in order to manage them. And again, to find security issues and make sure that you can remediate them. So um, they have, they announced some updates to their full stack observability platform, and this is integrated with Panoptica. So that's where you get that full visibility. Um, they also have those features and capabilities that they had from AppDynamics and Thousand mm -hmm. Eyes. So, um, and they're also using a lot of their innovation and emerging technologies that they found. This is part of their Outshift project, which is their incubation engine for emerging technologies, um, including the cloud native stack, edge computing, AI, and quantum computing. So when you bring all of this together 
and you help people with security. They're bringing together a lot of security capabilities that you look for in a cloud native application protection platform, which kind of brings everything together for efficient risk mitigation and mm -hmm. application protection. So now you have things like um, you can monitor the applications and you can, <clears throat> they also have some infrastructure as code scanning capabilities, workload monitoring capabilities, and um, application and API security capabilities that they demoed in the session that I was in that show how this gives people a platform that ties in what, what assets they have in the cloud, how to monitor the workloads, and then identify any issues and make sure that they have fast, effective feedback loops for their developers. So when an issue is found, it can mm -hmm. immediately go back to the developer so the developer can immediate it with speed and efficiency. So right. when, when you look at Cisco, I mean, Cisco's portfolio is huge. We know that yes. we could spend a half hour just going through all the, all the features that it provides. But uh, you mentioned early on about Cisco not being seen as, as a security uh, vendor, uh, security provider at least not a leading one. Right, uh, they're seen for the networking, yeah. This extensive portfolio, you, th you would think the opposite. Is it because Cisco is seen, its security portfolio is seen as something closely tied to its networking and therefore something uh, most beneficial to um, Cisco shops, enterprises that are heavily invested in Cisco? And yeah, absolutely. And I think this is why I'm excited that organizations are, like Cisco, where security is so important um, that they meet this head on, right? I've been at technology, I've been on the other side at technology vendors where security is an issue. It's, you know, when, when you think of why would people not buy my product, security, if it is, it can be a blocker if they think it's insecure. Um, you know, pricing and other things might be a reason why people might be um, wondering whether, whether they should buy it or if they should choose another product. And I really like this boldness of Cisco to just take it head on and say, no, we're going to we're going to meet these needs and we want to be a major security vendor. We want Cisco Live to be a top security show. That was kind of surprising to me in all their press releases. This is a networking and security conference um, or they're trying to position it that way. So, um, you know, to me as a security person that thinks that's the most important thing that people should care about and it should be an enabler and not a blocker, it's just really refreshing to see them put that emphasis. And then also because they have that reach of the types of products that they have, like they're known for their network security, they're sassy, they mm -hmm. did announce some firewall um, uh, um, updates as well. You know, this really expands into like the area that I cover, which is cloud and application security and helping with digital transformation. And they do have a lot of advantages there because they have the different components that they need that you need to address that well. So things like um, securing at the edge for the developers as they're using their laptops to write code, um, spanning mm -hmm. to the network, spanning um, all these areas that you really need to do to, and get control of and visibility of in order to mitigate risk. While U.S. lawmakers dither over AI regulations, the European Union is, make, is uh, moving uh, toward the passage of an AI Act. Here to tell us the impact of the EU's aggressive action on AI regulation is Tech Tiger editorial government reporter Mackenzie Holland. Welcome, Mackenzie. Thank you, Anton. Happy to be here. Great. So, uh, so what's in the AI Act and where is it on the road to approval? 
the AI Act is legislation that essentially classifies risk of artificial intelligence and high, low, uh, and prohibited artificial intelligence use. So essentially lawmakers have deemed that uh, you know, prohibited uses of artificial intelligence include facial recognition or using AI to classify people based on socioeconomic status or other personal characteristics. So I think the most significant part of that legislation is the way that it classifies AI into risk. So essentially you have different obligations to comply with based on the level of risk that your AI is classified at. Um, and so where they're at in this process is the European Parliament just approved this version, this draft version of the AI Act. Now it goes to the European Council and they're going to be speaking with other member countries to finalize this law and essentially propose what the final version is going to look like. And it's already moving a lot faster, this process, uh, than people thought that it was going to. So this is already expected to be, you know, a final law is expected to be, to be proposed by the end of the year. Okay, and what's the uh, what's the impact, uh, potential impact on uh, U.S. companies? I mean, what what are your sources telling you? Sure. So it's there's going to be obviously a time period where companies are going to have uh, you know, probably two to three years to comply with this legislation. So there won't be immediate impacts, but it's going to be something that you know companies will have to adjust to uh, because they even have a section in there for generative AI, and that's something that we've been seeing taken off recently. So essentially, companies are going to have to be transparent about their generative AI use, and uh, generative AI is going to have to uh, essentially tell users if this content was AI generated and there are other transparency measures behind that. So companies are going to have a little bit of time, you know, to comply with this legislation, obviously once it is approved and finalized. Um, so it's hard to say what the immediate impacts would be, um, but it's there, people are going to have some time. Yeah. When you talk about transparency and their generative AI use, uh, does that mean they got to hand over their algorithms to the uh, European Union or something something else? You know, it's again, these this is not a final form of this law and it's a kind of broad section. Uh, so I think it's up for interpretation a little bit. But yeah, right now it's just essentially kind of asking for to tell whether or not this content is AI generated, um, have the training data on hand essentially kind of these, I don't think they're asking to turn over the algorithm itself, but just for transparency into outputs. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Mm -hmm. and, and in the U.S., uh, are there, what are some of the uh, uh, proposals uh, being brought forth in, in, as to how uh, we would regulate uh, AI if we ever decide to regulate? Yeah, there are a lot of different thoughts on that. Um, following OpenAI CEO Sam Altman's testimony back in May, uh, Senator Michael Bennett proposed uh, a bill to create a federal agency uh, specifically to regulate artificial intelligence. That's one thing that's been proposed. Altman himself proposed uh, you know, licensing requirements for large AI models. Um, and then even yesterday, Senator Josh Hawley introduced a bill that would carve out uh, generative AI from Section 230 immunity, which Section 230 protects platforms from uh, content generated by third parties. And so they're targeting AI that way. And there's also, I mean, there are people uh, uh, who favor uh, the tech industry uh, regulating itself, so set their own standards. 
Uh, I mean, that sounds, uh, that doesn't sound like a great solution to me because you are, you are putting the fox in, in charge of the hen house and uh, AI is, impacts so much of our lives or has the potential of impacting so much of our lives. Uh, what, are, what are the pros and cons of that particular approach? Sure. So I guess I could touch on the cons of that first, because obviously we've seen what's happened with companies and self-regulation when it comes to social media platforms. Um, obviously, there wasn't a lot of self-regulation going on when it came to data collection, uh, privacy. And so we've kind of been seeing some issues with social media as a result of kind of letting companies you know, do their own thing with that. Um, some of the pros, uh, these industry-led standards have underlying technologies like Bluetooth, like Wi-Fi, and, you know, there's kind of a universal agreement on how these kind of tools should be used. So it, it's, you know, there are pros and cons to the approach. Uh, I think it's just going to depend on, I, I don't think with artificial intelligence, it's going to be left solely up to the companies. There's too much, and what we're seeing in Europe already with the AI Act, they're not going to just, you know, let companies do this on their own. Right. So it seems like the tech industry uh, is going to have to, uh, and, and they already are, work very closely with government um, yeah. and, uh, and hopefully uh, consumer groups be involved too to protect, uh, protect the rest of us. This week, Oracle and Salesforce made big moves in generative AI. Oracle said it would offer uh, its cloud customers uh, startup Cohere for building generative AI applications. Salesforce is a different approach. The company's new AI's uh, cloud suite includes an Einstein GPT trust layer that prevents generative AI models from holding a company's customer data. Uh, here to discuss the latest moves from Oracle and Salesforce is Tech Target Editorial's AI reporter Esther Zhao. So what does uh, Cohere offer companies uh, that want to run AI applications on Oracle Cloud. So Oracle and Core Air are kind of working together so that customers can uh, train their own customized uh, large language models. Um, so uh, with Oracle, as well as with mainly other cloud providers, but mainly Oracle's selling point and also with Salesforce, as we're going to discuss later on, is this idea of protecting customers' data. Um, and so what they're offering together um, on OCI is that they will plan on offering like a service that will not mix customers' data with Oracle's data or with Core's data. So uh, Core's selling point is they are very like, your data stays your data, and we are not going to mix that together, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So they, um, I, I take it customers would, would use their own data to train the models. Is, is yeah. The uh, yeah, customers will use their own data to train the model, but um, with like others, right? You especially the the problem, not the problem, but many of the challenges or some of the drawbacks that um, customers enterprises have with tools like OpenAI, ChatGPT, is this mixing of data, so to speak. Their concern that perhaps like sensitive data, especially if you're working like those sensitive fields like the healthcare industry, uh, will kind of bleed in, and you will be their data will be used to train the system. And so Cohair specializes in not doing that. And so this partnership is kind of good. It's very good for Oracle, as well as good for Cohere. Uh, okay, well, tell us a little bit about, a little bit about this startup Cohere and its uh, relationship with, uh, with Oracle. 
Yeah, so Korea is kind of like open AI, um, but they work primarily with enterprises. And so they let enterprises use their own data to train their AI models. So they're not sharing the data. The data stays, it stays within the customer, it stays within the enterprise. Um, and so last week they announced that they have raised $270 million, um, and part of the the fundraisers, a part of the people involved in that fundraising is Core, um, I'm sorry, is Oracle as well as NVIDIA. And so Oracle obviously is investing a lot of money into Coair, um, as well as other companies, but this is a good relationship for Oracle who can't like necessarily go to Mike, um, OpenAI, which already has a partnership with Microsoft, as you very well know. Yes. And I, I believe Salesforce Ventures is a, uh, uh, which is an right. Oracle uh, competitor is also invested in Cohere. Yeah, yes, so, you're right. Salesforce uh, is us also invested. So it's not like Cohere is like married to Oracle. They have cool. other investors, as well as they also have a lot of. They also like. Uh, I think Salesforce also have products that um, Cohere is like that uh, integrates Cohere's technology. But this is kind of like uh, a a little bit of um, helping Oracle get into the large language model generative AI market. Um, obviously, Oracle has a big uh, database so that will be helpful to Korea as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it would seem that the uh, the approach that Cohere takes uh, is certainly in line with what, uh, what enterprises want. I mean, I've uh, talked to people who say that they won't even use uh, generative AI unless the vendor can show, can prove that the data is uh, is protected. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's very that's uh, not just quite sure, but that I think that's a lot of things that enterprises are like concerned about is that data aspect. Obviously, like I mentioned, if you are in the sensitive field, you don't want your data to be used to train a model. Like I don't want I don't want my you know like I don't know like my DNA sample or like my healthcare information on chat uh, so to speak like that. And so that was, I think, even just to be into Salesforce, that was one of the selling point of their whole um, Einstein GPT trust layer is that you will have that trusted uh, that trusted layer that you really need in order to so that you can you can know that your data is secure, you can know that your customer data is secure and it's not being used in this AI system. And also, it's kind of explainable. You know where that data is coming from. You know it's not going into some some black box that you don't know anything. About. Mm -hmm. That's right. But Salesforce, uh, Salesforce, Salesforce's uh, approach, I guess, would be a little bit different because you're not actually creating the AI application. They're going yeah. to give that to you, but they have that control layer so right. that you can prevent the data from from uh, from heading to um, someone else's uh, uh, database. I guess right. Basically, yeah. Oracle and Corey are taking the approach of you will be able to make your own LLL models. You will have you have access and control to everything else to everything. Obviously, Oracle also plans on embedding like as technology and the uh, models into their business applications, but it also gives the control to the enterprises. Um, whereas Salesforce is like we will have that extra layer that you need to know that for sure this is really secure. It's so, so so definitely two different approaches. Okay, and when is uh, is Cohere available now on the Oracle uh, platform? And what about that Einstein GPT trust layer? Is that available now or in the future? I believe that Cohere is not available. I believe it is in the future. I'm not, I don't remember about uh, Salesforce. 
All right, so that wraps up this week's show. Thanks for watching and enjoy the weekend.